Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Thanks, Aaron and worship team for leading us well. Earlier in uh, this series that we're in on First Peter, we, we read a passage that said one of our roles is to declare the praises of God. Uh, and so it takes on a new meaning when we're outside, surrounded by condos and neighbors and a busy street up the road. Uh, it's been pretty, pretty fun these last couple of weeks. Uh, if, you're, if this is your first week with us, we've been walking through a book of the Bible called First Peter. And this uh, letter that was written to a number of churches distributed among them, uh, we've, been, we've been walking through it verse by verse in the last few weeks and reading towards the end of it. Next uh, Sunday will be our last Sunday in it. And the themes of this, if we were inside, you'd see a nice slide right now that would show you this, but have been hostility and hope and how do we hold on to uh, our faith in this uh, when we're facing opposition as believers in, in our lives. And in our passage today, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, um, there's just some final thoughts about suffering. And I'll share four of them with you right now up front before we read it together. One of them is that suffering for being a Christian should not come as a surprise because evil and sinful people targeted Jesus and those who follow in Jesus' footsteps today can expect to find similar opposition. Number two, suffering because of Jesus is a blessing because it confirms that we are following Jesus. And it also confirms that the things that Jesus achieved through his suffering are going to be made true for us as well. Number three, what we found about suffering is in my response to suffering um, that, may be cut, that comes because of my faith in Jesus Christ, we should continue to live rightly as an expression of continued trust in God. In other words, suffering, opposition, insults, however it comes, should not be an excuse to sin. And our, our character is tested when we face opposition. I can think of no better example of this than on social media. <laughs> when people get in an argument with somebody else on social media, character is revealed on the words that are then typed out. And so the call for us as Christians is not to, to lose our character, not to lose our faith in Christ when we face this opposition, but to, to continue to remain in his will. And then lastly, we see that God is sovereign over everything, even our suffering. And that ultimately, he is going to bring righteousness and justice fully to bear for us. In other words, we will be relieved of our suffering. Last week, right after our church service here, I went to visit um, the father of a couple that have attended our church in the past. And he was on his last days. And as I was praying for him in his bed, there was some comfort in knowing that he had placed his faith in Jesus. And we feel this tension in our lives as we deal with tough things, but we know that in the end, the things that Jesus accomplished for us are good. And so for this, this man 
who passed away a few days after I prayed for him last Sunday, because of his faith in Jesus, I knew that his suffering was not only over in this world, but now there was an absolute renewal of his body, that he was pain-free, and he will remain that way for eternity, just as Jesus promised. So this morning, as we look at these last words about suffering, I encourage you to open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. If you don't open up your Bibles there, I could be making something up right now, and you would have no idea if it's in Scripture or not, unless you have Peter memorized. Does anybody have 1 Peter memorized? Looking, looking. No, okay. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read verses 12 through 19 this morning. <clears throat> 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, It should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God will and should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Let's pray together. Father, represented in this lawn right now are people from different backgrounds and experiences. Some have suffered for their faith. Some have come a long way, moved from different countries, tried to learn new languages. Some have suffered here locally. Some are currently in the midst of feeling opposition in their lives. Lord, wherever people are at this morning, I pray that we'd be able to set our eyes on you, that we know that your promises are true and that your character is good, that you are worth trusting. So Lord, as we read this passage and we wrestle with what it means for us today, I pray that it would come alive, that it would point us to your good gospel. And Lord, it would reveal things in our hearts that maybe aren't in line with you. And that in your love for us, that you would bring us close to you. You would make us right with you. And that we would be able to hold on to the hope that only you can offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you probably noticed by now that one of the the key themes of this letter is suffering. And there's been uh, kind of two types of suffering that have been held up. The first type of suffering is you are suffering because you have done something wrong. Uh, One of my kids, I remember when they were young, they, they did something, I don't remember what it was, but they got in trouble. They got sent to their room because what they had been doing was wrong. And one of these kiddos, I will not name the name, uh, then started yelling from the other room, you're hurting my feelings. And my wife and I looked at each other, hurting his feelings. 
He's in there because of what he did, and he's trying to spin it as if he's the one that's suffering in this moment, right? Now, we can laugh at that when a kid does that, but many of us do the same thing. In what we just read, verse 13, or verse 15, Peter says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Could you imagine if somebody had killed another person and they were in the courtroom and the judge said, you are going to jail for the rest of your life and that murderer tried to blame the victim? No, it wouldn't fly, right? And it's interesting here how culture does this and we even do this ourselves. And Peter gives these categories of the type of things that you do that you will suffer a consequence because of them. One of the things that was interesting as I was reading this, maybe it stuck out to you, is there's murder, thief, criminal, and he says, even a meddler. We don't use that phrase, but maybe another phrase would be busybody. Somebody who's getting involved with somebody else's business. Peter's saying, even those people, like, if, if you get involved in somebody else's business and then you come under attack, don't be surprised. That's your fault. And all these things have something in common that Peter lists is that you are taking something from someone else. So when you do that, don't be surprised if you take life or possessions or privacy. Ultimately, when you take somebody else's peace, don't be surprised when you suffer for it. Pastor Kent Hughes says, if we as Christians are not peacemakers, but instead are troublemakers, there is every likelihood that we are not true children of God. One of the defining marks of a follower of Christ is someone who is a peacemaker. So the big picture Peter's trying to get in our heads is don't equate your suffering as some sort of badge of righteousness when the cause of your suffering is your own sinful decisions. This seems like it should be common sense, right? <laughs> but clearly it's not. And there's a reason it's being written because for these churches that would first hear these letters and us today as well, there's this tension in identity between the old identity lived apart from Christ and the new identity that is being renewed in Christ. In our message last week, in the passage we looked at, Peter contrasted the old way and the new way. And there's a, there's a pull to go back to that old lifestyle. Peter's saying, don't do that. If you're gonna suffer, don't suffer for those things. And a lot of the hardships in our life are things that we do to ourselves. So Peter wants to make sure there's no confusion here. Suffering has many causes. But as a Christ follower, the cause of our suffering shouldn't be our sinful decisions based on our old way of living. But there is a type of suffering that's different. A type of suffering you can experience that happens not because of your sinful decisions, but because of of a life lived committed to God because you've chosen to follow God, the perfect and holy ways of Jesus. And so he says in verse 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 
As we've been reading this letter together, uh, I think many of us have probably been struggling to feel that it really connects with us, that it's really relevant. And the reason is, how many of us have really suffered opposition and insults for our faith? I was thinking about that question of myself. And I immediately thought of three individuals in the book of Daniel named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were living in a culture that was, uh, uh, they, were, they were occupied, their nation was occupied, they were an oppressed minority in the midst of this nation of Babylon. And the king of that country one day says, hey, everybody in my kingdom needs to bow to a statue that looks like me. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're like, hmm, we can't do that because our primary allegiance is not ever to a man but it is to God. And so they choose God over man, God over culture, and they are thrown into a fiery furnace as the penalty of their decision. Now that's some suffering, right? If, if that were something we were faced with today, we could all agree and go, man, this, this letter has some weight for us. How do we deal with that in the midst of a culture that is opposed to the ways of Jesus? I also thought of a, a, a family that Jessica and I met when we lived in Spokane, and we were working with refugees that had recently been placed in our country, specifically in Spokane. And we met with one family, and we became friends with them and, and tried to help be a resource for them as they had just entered this foreign country. They didn't speak English. They didn't know how to navigate the system. And they were from the country of Burma. And the, the father's name was Kung Hu. And we couldn't hardly communicate. And I remember getting the story of his life, little bits and pieces at a time, that in Burma he had had to flee for his life with his family because they were being persecuted by the government there. They lived in a refugee camp for 10 years, and their youngest son was born in that refugee camp. And because they didn't get the medical care they needed, their son had all sorts of health issues. Now, now that's some suffering for the cause of Christ. That his faith was such an integral part of his life that he had to leave his country as opposed to giving up his faith to go with what the culture in his country was saying. So what's the implication as we've been reading 1 Peter together? Well, the implication is if we are dealing with hostility and insults and oppression for our faith, it's because our faith is a real thing. It's, it's not just a Sunday for an hour thing. It's not just a, yeah, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy thing. Like, my faith in Jesus dictates everything in my life. It is the most important thing. There's a couple of primary reasons why people would come after you for following Jesus, why they would be opposed to you. The first reason is they already know about Jesus and they hate him. And they hate anyone who is associated with Jesus. Jesus talked about this himself. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. 
because you belong to me. So your very association with Jesus is a threat to the demonic powers of this world. These, these powers influence cultures and leaders and ideology in such a way that they want you to pledge allegiance to them. And in doing that, they want to eliminate any trace of Jesus. And so that always means that they're all going to go after the followers of Jesus as well. Sometimes this takes the shape of a, a no-doubt-about-it public attack, like followers of Jesus in Burma have experienced, or China, or Nigeria, or Iraq, or Iran. I could go down the list. Just flat-out violence, persecution. Other times, though, the attack against followers of Jesus comes through cultural movements that demand that you give allegiance to them that you fly their flag, that you put up their sign, that you nod your head in agreement when they spew their ideology. And this allegiance, when we hold it up to the good news of Jesus and his word, we can't do it. We can't bow down. And so this leads to the other reason you might experience suffering for your faith. The other reason people would come at you for following Jesus has to do with how you live. As we looked at last week, when you don't participate in the evil ways of society, when you don't agree with the corrupted thinking or support a sinful lifestyle, you become a threat. We have another word for this in our culture. You are canceled. And this is not a new thing. We, we feel like cancel culture in America is like this new thing and everybody's upset about it. Man, this has been going on for as long as time exists. One of the most famous Baptist preachers in England was a man named Charles Spurgeon. And he was a, a pastor in the 1800s in England and, and he was uh, later nicknamed the Prince of Preachers. Thousands of people came to know Jesus through his preaching ministry. One of the things that Charles Spurgeon did as he was preaching God's word is he looked at the culture and he said, there are things in the culture that are not compatible with Christ, with the good news of the gospel. And one of those things he saw happening in his own country and it was eventually eliminated, but it continued to exist in another country. And that was slavery. First abolished in England, but still present in America. Now at this point, Spurgeon's Sermons had been printed and put into books and they've been distributed all over America. But there was a, a segment of America that when they read his sermons and they heard his teaching against slavery, considered him a threat. And so literally there were Christian bookstores burning Charles Spurgeon's gospel-centered sermons because he was opposed to slavery. So some people are going to come at you because of the way that you live. I have a friend in, in the tech industry. I won't say what company, but it's a local company here in, in uh, the Seattle area. He said he was invited to lunch with a bunch of VPs in the tech company. And he said, they didn't know me other than the work that I did. And somehow everybody felt comfortable in this particular setting to begin going after Christians, to begin mocking them for the supposed disbelief in science or their opposition to cultural ideology. He said, they just began to go at it so much. And he said, in that moment, I knew I couldn't tell them I was a Christian. Because if I did, man, I'm out. 
oh, I'm going to lose my influence at work. And they're going to look at me as like one of those guys, this caricature of Christianity they had built up, which wasn't true, but they believed it was. So remember, right before we've read this passage we just read, the challenge when we face this kind of opposition is not to enter into a culture war mentality. Us against them. The challenge is to have the same attitude as Jesus. So instead of fighting back, what Peter encourages the church to do is to continue to do good. When people hurl insults at you and you continue to love them, what does that do? When people caricaturize you as anti-science or anti-this or anti-that, and you continue to love people and serve your community, they can't say anything about that. And so the question for us, Sunset Community Church, is what if we lived into our identity as Christians in a way that made people see Jesus? In a way that made people ask questions about our faith? And I'm not even talking about some random stranger coming up to you and going, hey, you sure seem nice. What's the deal? I'm talking about your kids. Like, do we live in that way in our homes in such a way that our kids ask us questions about our faith? Our extended family, the ones we rub shoulders with, when you do good things and they say, oh, that's so good that you're doing that. And you, can you say to them, man, the reason I'm doing this is because of the good things that have come my way through my faith in Jesus Christ. Like, when I was still a sinner, Jesus loved me in this way. And so I'm just trying to do the same thing for other people. We often think about doing the, ma- making Christ known as uh, some sort of like scary adventure where we got to go tap somebody on the shoulder and be like, hey, have you heard about Jesus? But the places we need to start is right where we're at. So what if we were to do that? And, and what if we weren't afraid? What if we weren't afraid to, to graciously and, and, and compassionately disagree with the movements of culture? Not in an angry, warlike way, but just standing firm for what we believe. What if we weren't afraid to do that at the lunch meeting with our boss? Or what the family members were afraid of? What if we were not afraid to, to courageously call out other believers who are being pulled into or pulled back into their their pre-Christian lifestyle? What if we could love in that way, in a rescuing, redeeming kind of way? And so what Peter is encouraging us to do is is if we're going to stick out, man, may it be in such a way that there's no doubt that we're following Jesus. Got one amen from that. So there we go. And that's why he says in verse 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You don't have to be afraid. Following Jesus is an act of faith. So if if we're going to live our lives without fear, our faith has to be bigger than our fear. Like we just, we have to believe Jesus. We have to know that his way is the way. It's the best way. And this isn't faith in ourselves, but faith in his promises. And you know what's true, and I've experienced this, I'm sure many of you have experienced this, that suffering and hardship often reveal the depth of our faith in God. And 
And suffering and hardship also are one of the primary tools of purification that God uses. In other words, sometimes we go through these seasons that hurt, but ultimately they hurt so good. Because God is doing some heart work in us. He's, he's surfacing some things in our lives that are the old way that need to go. Some areas where we don't trust him. Some areas that we're holding on to in our mournings or in our sorrows that, that Jesus is saying, let go of those and let me heal you. And heart work is deep work. My youngest son is born with a couple of unique things. One is half the chambers in his heart don't pump right. The other one is his heart's on the other side of his body. It's called heterotaxy syndrome. He's had a couple of major heart surgeries, one of which he didn't, almost didn't survive. But that heart surgery, those, both of those have saved his life. And this is what happens when we endure suffering and hardship. There is some heart work that God wants to do in us that is ultimately good, even if it hurts in the moment. Because it realigns us with what's true about him. There's a church father named uh, Athanasius. Uh, One of the things that bugs me so much is when people say Christianity is a white man's religion. This church father in the 4th century was from North Africa. Super influential leader in the church at that time. He's talking about sufferings, and and Athanasius says this. He says, if if your enemies savagely attack you, and the the enemies become multitudinous, rank upon rank, and they're, they're eyeing you with contempt as if you have not yet been visited by grace. And on this count, they wish to do battle. Do not crouch in fear. I love what he says. He says, instead... Sing the 27th Psalm. Then we know the 27th Psalm. I encourage you to read it and meditate on this week, but I'll read you just two verses from it. Verse 1 and 13. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 13 says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We don't need to be afraid. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were were put into that furnace, the the king who had thrown them in there, he looked in and he says, wait a second, I thought there was three in there, but but it looks like there's a fourth one. Who is that fourth one? It was Jesus. Pre-incarnate Jesus was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. So if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests with you. In other words, God is with you. This is a promise that God made in the very nature of Jesus' coming, that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. This is the promise that God makes from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture that God is with his people. And time and time again, I've heard stories from Christians who have recounted how they felt closest to God in times of suffering. Now, God doesn't only come close to us in times of suffering. But it's true that often in those times are when we finally realize we're not in control. And we tune our hearts to God, and we say, I can't do this alone. And God says, that's all right, I'm with you. I've been with you the whole time. 
So this section of, of 1 Peter wraps up with this challenge to suffer rightly for the right things, to trust God. And then it wraps up with a, an eschatological perspective. Eschatology or eschatological means uh, a view of what's going to happen in the end. That someday, and, that, and that's, what, that's how we have hope as Christians, is we have a, a long-term perspective on this short-term life that we're living. And so he says in verse 17, with these ideas of suffering in mind, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Verse 17, where does judgment start? Right here, with God's people. The household of God. This is actually a repeated theme throughout scripture that when God addresses the sins of his people. He says, I see them. I'm going to deal with them. They will not go unpunished. God's standard of righteousness applies equally. But God's judgment towards his people and this new covenant of grace under Jesus, it looks different than that judgment towards those who have not believed in Jesus. God's judgment, verse 17, that begins with us, his people, looks more like discipline. Proverbs 3.12 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And so as a church, there are movements that God uses in cultures and times to refine his people, to, to get them back to the gospel because he loves us. And so God's judgment for us is good. It's like fatherly, motherly discipline. So God's judgment starts with his people. Where does God's judgment end? This is the eschatological view, this end times view. God's judgment ends with the people who have rejected him. This is a different judgment because if you've received the free, grace, the free gift of grace through faith in Jesus, your judgment looks like discipline, but if you haven't, your judgment is different. You have no desire to obey God. You have no desire to stop sinning. And so in this case, God's judgment can't be based for you on relational discipline. It's instead based on his pure standards of justice and righteousness. And so his judgment is directed solely at your sinful heart. All of us will experience the judgment of God. And it's my hope, if you're listening today, that your experience of it will be his loving discipline, which calls you to repentance and faith in Jesus. That you'll experience that and not his final judgment. As C.S. Lewis says, there will be those in that day that said, that God says to, to the, or that say to God, I, I wanted to do your will. And there's those that said, I wanted to do my will. And God will say, your will be done. So in case you haven't been with us in previous weeks or in case you forgot, whether you've received the grace of Jesus or not, he has done something for you. Earlier in this letter, chapter 2, verse 20, 
1 says this, Christ suffered for you. That is all of us, whether you've responded or not. Leaving an example that you should follow him in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. And that last line is only true. By his wounds, you've been healed if you've placed your trust in Jesus. And that's what we're all called to respond to today. Whether you place your faith or not, we're all called to to respond to this saving grace of Jesus. And church family, we're, we're not to just intellectually or emotionally nod to Jesus. No, we're called to have the same attitude of Jesus to carry the same message as Jesus, to to live in the same ways as Jesus. And if that means we're insulted or ostracized or worse, that's actually just confirmation that we're following Jesus. And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, I hope you'd find someone who has. I hope you ask them about the hope that they have I hope you ask them about how the good news of Jesus has changed their lives. You're not going to find people that are perfect. You're not going to find people that have all the answers. But you're going to find people that have been forgiven and redeemed and have a hope that endures no matter what else is going on. And that is true for us as a church family. So my prayer for us as as we move forward in this new season, because I think everything's going to feel new, (laughs) as we pull out of this COVID pandemic, that we would be a people that hold on to the goodness of God in everything that we do, that we seek to have the attitude of Christ in all that we do, and that we're ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Let's pray to that end. Father, we thank you for 70-degree days, for being able to meet outside without masks, Thank you for the opportunity we're going to have next week to share a meal with each other, but also with members of our community. Father, I just ask right now that you would stir us up in our hearts, that you would give us a distaste for the old way of life, for the old sin that's still trying to hold on to us, that literally it would taste foul to us. It would give us a stomach ache when we think about it. Father, you would give us your heart of compassion for those that don't know you. That even if they come at us, that we would respond like you responded with grace and truth, with compassion and mercy. That we'd be a church that is distinctly marked by you. Not a Christian Bible club that meets once a week, but a people called and redeemed and holy and chosen. Thank you for your grace, your continued grace for us. May we live it out this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.